Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are the King of Kings, and you are the Lord of Lords, and there are no others above you. In you and through you, you have brought all things together. In you and through you, you have brought things together, not only in creation, but in our lives. We thank you and we praise you that you are our Savior. And we do give you all the honor and in the glory, for it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I have to tell you that when I signed up for July the 12th, um, you know, I didn't necessarily look at the scriptures. And uh, when, I, when I started looking at them several weeks ago, I saw where we had the story about Herod. And I thought, oh, Lord, I, I don't, I don't want to preach on this. I don't want to preach on Herod, you know, cutting off the head and all. I, you know, and the Lord said, you're preaching on the epistle. It was very clear. It was very clear to me in my spirit. I could hear the Lord saying, you're preaching on the epistle. And I thought, oh, great, let's go read that. So I read that. And I thought, oh, no, not predestination. Not, not election. <laughs> Lord, no, not that. So I hope y'all brought your lunch. We're going to be here for a while. Not really, but sort of. <laughs> I do want to say, though, that the epistles of Paul's letter, uh, the epistle of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, is probably one of the most profound writings of Christian doctrine, other than Romans. I mean, Romans is the, you know, the big enchilada. But Ephesians is amazing at the clarity of Christian doctrine, written by Paul. The theme of the letter of, um, to the Ephesians is about the elected, the predestined, the adopted people of God, the mystical body of Christ, with Christ as the head of the body and the assurance that all things will be brought together in him and through him by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the master plan of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, from the very beginning, one God, three persons, in the very beginning, before anything was created, before we were here, before the world was here, before anything, the master plan was that everything would be done before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear statements like before the foundation of the world, it just, I don't know. If I don't have chemo brain, it gives me chemo brain. It just gets very confusing that everything that we have and that we see and that has happened was created by God before the foundation of the world. Now, just wrap your brain around that for just a second. It's very hard to understand that. But, of course, if we understood it and we had total clarity, what would we be? Bingo. God. We would be God, but we're not. And so, because of the gift of faith, 
that we receive in order to help us believe in God in the first place, when we hear statements like this, that it was all done before the foundation of the world, then that gift of faith is activated in us. And you know what we say? I don't understand it, but I believe it. And Lord, according to your will, help me to understand more and more as I grow more and more in you. Now, this sermon today is going to have some teaching elements in it. So you'll need to follow along in your bulletin um, or page 1064 in the Bible um, in your pews. And I know, I know that we have different translations. Um, I use the New American Standard. I always have for, for study um, and for teaching. But I also refer to the ESV, the NIV, the King James, the RSV, which is what we have. Um, I refer, refer to that. Of course, what I would love is if we had the ESV in our pews. That would be awesome. So we might want to think about that. See, we have to, <laughs> there's a way to think about that. Um, But at any rate, I think we're going to be okay as we go through Ephesians. I I don't think there's going to be much confusion. My title, as you see, is called The Already But Not Yet. Let's see, I think she wrote it specifically. We live in the already but the not yet. Now, many of you have heard me make that expression. Some of you have heard it from different clergy and you've heard it from different places. But for those of you who have not heard it, let me tell you a little bit where it comes from. Um, it comes from, it's, it's really given, um, from what I hear, it's taken from a man named Leesley Newbegin, who was a missionary bishop in the 50s in India. And what he said was this. When he used the term already but not yet, he was referring to the fact that though Jesus has come and the kingdom of God is now present on earth, the fullness of the kingdom is yet to come. That will be when Jesus returns to take his church home to be with him forever. So we live in the already, but the not yet. So I wanted to explain that to you because I'm going to use it a couple of more times in the sermon. When we live in the already, we know it's the not yet because there's still sickness. People, people are still getting sick. People, people are still dying. Tragedy is still taking place. Like um, Father Rob's going to share this with you um, in just a little while. But the, the unbelievable tragedy of somebody walking into a Bible study in a church and killing nine people. Not on the playground. Not in some gang war. Not in some really bad situation where guns and all that activity is sort of the norm of the day. But in a church where people are studying the scripture. And in a place where they welcomed this person who sat there for over an hour and listened. You see, we don't live in the, in, in the not yet. These things are still happening. So in these 12 verses in the epistle that we read today, we're going to look at three points. The first point is our election is in Christ. Our election is in Christ. The second point is our redemption 
is in Christ. And the third point is our security deposit that gives us the assurance of our entry into the heavenlies comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit. So we've got our election, which is in Christ, our redemption, which is in Christ, and our security deposit that gives that, that us the assurance of our inheritance of going into the heavenlies with Jesus comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this first section, our election. Needless to say, needless to say, uh, this has been a controversy, the word election, the word uh, predestination, all these words that we've used um, about chosen and things like that for years and years and years and years, decades, centuries. It has created a tension between many great church leaders, scholars, reformers, Augustine, Luther, all these, although most of them agreed pretty much on the basics of predestination and election because it's in Scripture, and we're looking at it right now. But I want to try and simplify this particular doctrine of predestination and election so that we can grab it and own it and understand it and then live in it. Because if we don't know what it's saying, we don't know what it means, and if we think, well, that's what the Presbyterians believe, then we're really missing out. But sometimes that's what we do. We just sort of assign it to another denomination. Well, that's what they believe. Well, guess what? We believe this also. And you can find that in the 39 articles in the back of your prayer book, and this is homework. That's why I said this sort of a teaching element. I want you to look up article number 17, and I want you to read it, and it's on predestination and election that was written by Cranmer in the Book of Common Prayer. So when you get home, read that. That that is your homework from the, the sermon for today. So when I try and simplify this and take these words and apply them to what God wants us to know about him, we look at 1 Peter 1 and 2, which gives us a little bit of understanding. This is what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, for all of you Greek language loving people out there, and I know you're out there, I'm getting ready to throw you a bone. I'm going to throw you two bones, actually. This is actually very important. If you look in your scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 4. Because this is going to give us some understanding um, that maybe we haven't had before. He says this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Just as he chose us. 
Well, this is an interesting verb phrase. What it means is it means chosen out of or elected from. Chosen out of or elected from. Now, this is what we know about that that Greek word. It's in the aorist tense, which means, here it is, this is the power, this is the power of that word. It means it happened in the past. This didn't happen after Jesus came. This happened before the foundation of the world. That he chose us, you, 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 and me, before the foundation of the world. How could he know me? I'm glad I'm thinking about that for a second. Wow. Think about us sometimes. Lord, do you really know me? And you're choosing me? Yes, I am. I am choosing you. And so that's a powerful word. And then we look down in verse 5, and we, we further read where it says, In love he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his kind intention of his will. There again, we have another aorist tense, and that means to determine or to decree beforehand. I just get so excited about it, I just can't hardly stand it. Because that means that while we were still sinners, which is what Paul tells us in Romans... Jesus Christ died for us. It also tells us this, is that he knew us before we knew ourselves. Now I want you to think about the power of God choosing us before, while we were sinners. No merit on our own there, huh? Nothing I could do. I can't be good enough. I can't say it perfect enough. I can't have all my ducks in a row enough. I can't do everything that I'm supposed to do perfectly. I can't do that. But in Christ, I can be redeemed from that curse of eternal death and eternal separation from my Creator. In Christ. That is powerful. Romans 8:28 says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So see, once we're chosen, we're then adopted. He picks us, he chooses us, And then he adopts us into the body of Christ, God's holy family. Now, let me say something about that. Think about adoption. You go to adopt a baby. It's a little tiny baby. That baby doesn't know you're not the biological parents. That baby doesn't know anything about you. That baby... That baby is, has come into the world, 
And when, when the baby is wet, the baby cries. When the baby's hungry, the baby cries. When the baby doesn't like its environment, the baby cries. I mean, the, the, the baby is just sort of, at that moment, totally self-absorbed in, in, in its own little world. And Jesus adopts us. We're adopted like that. And the plan has already been worked out before the foundation of the world that we're going to be created in his image. We're going to become like our daddy. Does that blow your mind? That blows my right. Because you see, there's nothing I can do to make that happen. It's already happened. He's already worked it out. We have no chance whatsoever of being holy, blameless people. Unless Jesus Christ lives inside of us as God the Holy Spirit. We have absolutely no chance. You can be try as hard as you want to be holy, and you are not going to be holy if you don't have the Holy One living inside of you. It's just not going to happen. But because we have the living God who before the foundations of the world created all that we have, He lives inside of this earthen vessel. He lives in here. Oh my gosh. Lord, you live inside of me. I can know. I can know what it's like to be in your kingdom, to be your child. I can know what it's like to have the spiritual blessings that you pour out on your family. I can know that because you live inside of me. That's, that's incredible news. That's not just good news. That's incredible news. All right, so let's put this first part together so we can make sure we're all on the same page here. God had a plan before the foundation of the world. He knew everything that was going to happen before it happened. Why? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's all-present. He's everything. He's sovereign. He's God. So he had it all worked out. He knew that Satan was going to rebel. He and Michael were going to have a fight, the archangel. He'd be thrown down to heaven, I mean to the earth from heaven. He knew that. He knew that the world needed a savior. He knew that Jesus Christ would come. He knew that he would obey him. And he knew that we would kill him. He knew all that. But he did it anyway, didn't he? He knew it all. But he did it. He knew that because Jesus was willing to do that, because of his death and his resurrection, we, we can now live in the already. The kingdom has come. The spiritual gifts, the blessings have been poured out upon us. We have been redeemed. We have been sanctified in justification. We have been justified before the Father so that there's no longer a gap between me and God. 
When he looks at me, he sees Jesus. Woo! Hallelujah. Let me have a hallelujah. Just one. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. I love that. I love that in-between thing there. Because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Now, in this plan, there's a two-parter. We've got divine initiative. That's best seen in Acts 2, 22 through 24, if you want to jot that down. That's the sermon of Peter when he talks about Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross for our sins. And then that's the divine initiative. And then the very next part of that part of the sermon is, and you nailed him to the cross. That's human responsibility. You see, God has done all that needs to be done. And the question I'm going to ask you at the end, but I'll just sort of tease you with it now. Is what are we doing? What are we doing about that? What are we doing about God's initiative? Now this leads us right into the redemption. If you look at verse 7 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, you see where he says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things on the earth. You see, all that is going on in creation, the whole master plan, the giant landscape that God has created and and crafted and is the great architect is summed up in Christ. Everything is summed up in Christ. It's not summed up in anything else. Everything we have is in Christ. Everything that I should do should be done in Christ. All the spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon us, in Christ. Redemption. In him we've been redeemed from what has happened to the human race. We've been adopted now as his children, not because of anything that we did, but for what Jesus, the God-man, did. Through him we are saved. We are redeemed. And, This is the exciting part of the redemption. We got gifts. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus goes through the suffering, the torment, the agony, the separation from his father. And what happens? We get gifts. Now, there's something bad wrong with that. But you see, there's a loving God. And he loves us so much and he knows how frail and fragile we are. And so he just pours it out. And he lavishes his his love and his gifts on us. We see those gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 of wisdom, discernment. Wisdom, discernment, understanding, powerful, faith, healings, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Then we see the gifts in Ephesians, the offices of apostles and prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In Romans, 
service, teaching, exhortation, administration, giving, and mercy gifts. Let me say something about the giving gift. This is, I mean, have you ever heard somebody say to you, you know, I have a gift. Really? What is it? I give. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, that's one of the gifts. Well, let me tell you, let me sort of give you a picture of that. When Robert and I went to seminary, um, and we went up there, we went up there, you know, knowing that Robert couldn't work. Uh, that In those days, you couldn't work if you went to seminary. And I was an x-ray tech, and I had a job already, and I got up there and found out I was going to have Legree. And so then they couldn't hire me. So there we are, both up there with no jobs. <laughs> And we said, well, okay, Lord, if the money doesn't come, we come home. Actually, I think that's what Bishop Temple said, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and so we're up there, and we're saying, okay, Lord, what's going on? Well, we met this couple, and they were in this Bible study we were attending. And one day, he was sharing about his gift. He said, I have a gift of giving. And, of course, Robert and I, our ears kind of, you know, picked up there, and we thought, Oh, wow, that's a nice gift. He said, let me tell you how it happened. I used to shuck oysters at the Chesapeake Bay all my life. Young boy, teenager. He said, I wasn't going to do anything. He said, the next thing I know, things start to change. I start to get into business. I start to buy companies. I start to do this, 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 this. Meeting the Lord in the middle of the process. And the Lord said, I've given you the gift of giving. It's why you have all this money. And he became a multimillionaire, and this was his problem that he wanted us to pray about. The more he gave, the more he got, and then the more responsibility he had to have to give it. And I said, say that again? <laughs> he said, the more I give away, the more I get. And then I've got the responsibility of having to figure out where to give it. We said, well, we'll pray about that for you. I mean, that was the strangest thing. Well, the Matthews became our very, very dear friends. And let me tell you, they helped us for three years through seminary. That was how the Lord was leading them. So sometimes we do have these gifts that seem sort of strange, but the gift of giving. Now, we've talked about the already. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus has come. We've got the gifts of the Spirit. We are moving in the kingdom. But what about the not yet? What do we do with the not yet status? How do we handle that particular aspect? Look at, look at verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 1. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise and glory. And in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were then sealed with him, in him, with the promise of the Spirit, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This leads us to the final point, which is our inheritance, the not yet. 
You know, sometimes when you've got an inheritance situation where, you know, your parents have, have got a lot of things that they're going to give to their children and they've got the will and they've talked with you over the years about what you're going to get and what your brother's going to get and your sister and everything. And then all of a sudden the parents die and it doesn't quite pan out like that. Have you ever had that experience? I've had that experience. Um, it, it panned out beneficially for Robert and I, but it was not right. It was not right. And so they had to be made right. And it was made right. But the promises that were given were not upheld. That is not the case with Jesus. That promise of an inheritance of the not yet, we know for a fact that it's going to happen because he lives in each one of us. The will is in us. It's written on our heart. The spirit, the pledge, the the down payment, the deposit is in us. It is the spirit of God. It is God himself, the creator of the universe. He lives inside of you. And therefore, not only do we understand the already because we're living in it, but guess what? We can understand the not yet. Because he's teaching us about his greatness. He's teaching us about what he's got for us. He's giving us hope in the midst of all the things that happen to us. He's saying, yes, I know that's bad, but wait till you see what's coming. You're not going to be able to stand it. And you know what? That's what I'm hoping for. I'm looking for that. Lord, I hope this isn't it. I'm looking for what he created before the foundation of the world. I'm looking for that fullness to come. The last point is what is our challenge? What's our challenge? How do we conclude this? What does it mean to live in the not yet? We understand the already. What does it mean? It means transformation. It means that we are to be transformed daily by the renewing of our mind. Not to this world, conform to this world. We're not of this world. We live in the already. We live in the kingdom of God. The already. We're waiting on the not yet. I'm waiting on the not yet. And I want to do everything I'm supposed to do and be everything I'm supposed to be in this already. So that when that not yet day comes for me, I'm ready to go. Transformation. The next one is sanctification. I love that word. Sanctification. Being sanctified, being made more and more into the image of Christ. To where when people see us, they see Jesus. They don't see this person who might be sick or hurt or wounded or this or that or rich or poor or black or white or whatever. They see Jesus. Because we live in the already. But we're waiting on the not yet. 
And finally, you know, my favorite, discipleship. Are we being intentional? Are we grasping the fact that the, the Son of the living God, God the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you? Are you grasping that? That's so powerful. It's, it's, it's almost beyond words. And because of that, we can ask for direction. We can ask for power. We can ask, we can say, Lord, am I going in the right direction? No, you're not. Thanks. I mean, people think, gosh, you know, I don't know that I hear the Lord that. There's no reason in this whole wide world why if God is living inside of you that you cannot be in touch with him. In his word right here. Read his word. Read his word. You don't have to hear an audible voice. Read his word. He's speaking right here in his word. Sometimes a thought will come into your head. And you say, Lord, is that you? See, see, see if it agrees with scripture. If it agrees with scripture, you can go with that. Sometimes you're not sure. Well, just keep walking till the door shuts. You see, that's living in the already. That's living in the promise. Waiting on that to come. So the challenge is, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we living the life that God has created us to live? I have a, a quote by one of my favorite second century guys named Anselm. And this is what he says I, in my Bible. I have not yet done that for which you have made me. I love that. Because that, you see, that's the promise of my life right there. And until it happens, I'm going to be right here on this earth. And I know that. You know, our friend Siren Kierkegaard, and I've said this many times before, you know, he says, are you an admirer of Jesus Christ or are you a follower? These are, these are the tough questions that we have to ask ourselves. Are we following that which lives inside of us? I'm going to close with just a quick little personal story. Um, You know, most of you know, Robert and I, we've been fighting with the cancer invader for a while. It's come back in me now for the third time, whatever. That's how I feel about that. And um, Robert, who's got multiple myeloma, has finally gotten to the place where he's going to have a stem cell transplant. And we are very excited about that. And that's going to happen September 16th through the 18th. Now, we're very excited and happy about that. Of course, we don't know what that's going to be like. <laughs> so we're probably going to, going to be going through some um, struggles once we get there. But this is what I want to share with you about that. You know, I have people ask me all the time. And I mean, I do. I have them. They say, Martha, are you just faking it? And I said, well, faking what? I mean, like cancer? No, I mean, are you faking it? I mean, are you re- do you really feel, you know, like this, like you're a, a AH, AHHD, what is it, ADHD out of control person? Um, or are you really this excited about life? I said, I really am. I said, but I'll tell you why. It's because my identity is not cancer. My identity is not what's going on bad in my life. 
God does one of two things. He either sends it or allows it. Let me say that again. He either sends it or he allows it. He's sovereign. I don't know why he allowed. I don't know why. I have no idea why. But you know what? I don't need to know. What I need to do is I need to say, okay, Lord, all right, this is part of my transformation. And so I'm going to be here on this earth doing and being whatever it is until the time comes when I've completed that. And then, now hear this, people, the reward that God's going to give me is that he's going to take me home. That's my reward. See, we don't think about death as a reward because we think about death as the final thing. But it's not. It's not. I'm not there yet, so God hasn't given me the grace to handle that. But where we are right now, Robert and I, we're just saying, all right, Lord, we obviously are going to use this in some way to glorify your name and do the work that you've called us to do. And every one of you in this room has something going on in your life that God can use to continue to transform every part of you. And when that day comes and you're finished and you've done all that God has called you to do and be all that God has called you to be, He will reward you with the inheritance. He will reward you with the not yet will be now. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. We thank you and praise you, Jesus, because you you are the Lord. You are God. And there are no others above you. And we thank you and praise you for your incredible love and mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength when times are really tough. Lord, like what I had a couple of days ago, I just had to get my husband to to just start praying over me heavily as I was just feeling a little down. And I thank you and praise you, Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you you just filled me back up. So I thank you, Lord, for those times that I can come to you and, and, and say to you that I feel weak so that you could make me strong. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person in this room and that you would touch them in a mighty way. Let them know how much you love them and the power that lives inside of them to do the things you've created them to do. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>